last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I remain the same, Eric Bricklaunt. Yes, indeed. So, Eric, tell us, where we were, what are we doing? Well, in the previous episode, we thought we would uh, represent our nerd cred to a whole new level of nerdiness. And we talk about Star Trek, but we talk about the episodes that actually take place in the past, in history, uh, in our history. Not a made-up history, not a history in our future, but in the history that we uh, all are familiar with. And we talked about a bunch of really fantastic episodes, of course. Um, we talked about uh, the City on, on the Edge of Forever. We talked about Star Trek IV, the one of the whales. Uh, and, of course, we also talked about Time's Arrow. And that's kind of where we left off. And there's just a little bit to finish up on from there before we move on to our next one. Yeah. Uh, but I want to reintroduce back to the show, joining us for part two, of course, uh, despite his rank, his true rank as Admiral, we're here with Jeremy Commander. <laughs> yes, Thanks indeed. for having me back, guys. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's about time that we had you on our podcast, because we talk about it so much, and we've been wanting to have you on for a long time. I'm just glad we're finally able to share the mic with you again, so. Uh, even though we just had you on last week, so. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll just keep you around forever now. You're just going to be here always. Yeah, you're And if we need to kill anyone off, you're wearing a red shirt, so we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll kill I, you I am wearing the red time. shirt. Yeah, yeah. It does say expendable <laughs> on it, indeed. Just like I wore it last week. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, so, in between recordings, there was laundry day. Go figure. So, um, was there was there laundry day, or am I just wearing the shirt again? Let's <laughs> let's not leave that to the imagination of our listeners. There was a laundry day. <laughs> Please, Jeremy. This is called nerds on history, so I, th- I think it's it's probably in their minds already. But that's yeah, fine. yeah. Um, so just to catch us up with what happened yeah. in that episode, right? Um, to make a long story short, time traveling aliens who are also vampires, essentially, who are sucking the neural energy out of people with crazy uh, ass snake canes, indeed. Uh, have gone back to uh, 1893 in San Francisco and have pulled Data back with him. Right. Um, and so now the the crew of the Enterprise, including Picard, uh, has to go back and rescue him. Uh, Guinan is also there. Guinan is the Whoopi Goldberg uh, eternal character who last, lives a very, very long time and tells him, tells him he must go on that mission. Otherwise, they will never meet. My favorite uh, part is, of course, she thinks that her father sent him. Right. When when they first meet up. Yeah, did my like, father send you? Tell, uh-huh. tell him I'm not done listening to these people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Uh, it's funny. And to make matters worse, uh, when Data meets up with Guinan, Guinan, of course, being an alien, knows where, what Data is, but just doesn't want to, you know, even though they hadn't met yet until that point in time in the chronology, uh, she just doesn't want to make a bunch of attention. And yet, though her friend, Sam McLevins, a.k.a. Mark Twain, who is living in the in the city at the time, overhears a conversation where they give away who they are, and now he thinks that there is some conspiracy theory of them being invaders from the future trying to ruin humanity um, because he's a pessimistic asshole. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, just because he's, he's, the, he's an antagonist in, in this episode. He's, he's not a, a villain. Not quite the villain, but close. He's right? a misguided, yeah, yeah. He's a misguided well, antagonist. Well, he comes around at the end, though. Right? He does, but, but you don't know that. Throughout most of the two episodes, right. two-parter, he, he appears to be a villain. And that's very much true to Mark Twain, though. I mean, he really was out for himself. He tried well, he, to forward he was his an iconoclast. any way he could. Yeah, but he wasn't the iconoclast of his time. He had no problem addressing what was wrong with society sure. uh, quite blatantly. But for his own personal gain as well. And, and that's my that's point true. I'm trying to make, is that I think that... He was know, both a hero and a jerk. Yeah, and, and, he, and that is so perfectly portrayed with this character in the show. 
uh, it really does emulate the actual Mark Twain. And I love that. I love that they, they wrote in not just a character from history, but they wrote in every aspect of that character that made him fit into the show. Yes, and to be totally fair, he never he rarely is referred to as Mark Twain in the show. They refer to him as his real name, Samuel Clemens. Right. But we just use the terms interchangeably, basically. Exactly. In reference to the show. Uh, so we get back. The crew of the Enterprise is there. They're figuring out more or less what's happening. They finally, uh, in a moment of uh, crisis where they are confronted by the actual police, even though Riker is the fake policeman at this <laughs> <Yeah>. time. Uh, <laughs> I love he said, I just want to let you know, I have the utmost respect for the law. And then he just but pretty much like palm punches him in the face and knocks the, the policeman out and they make a run for it. And somehow Data knows this and has a buggy ready to go and he comes out like a boss. He's data. And, but he comes out like a boss. He does come out like a boss. <laughs> around the corner. And if this were like a if this were like a Dukes of Hazard episode, this would be the generally like skidding and like going right up against the sidewalk, because that's exactly what happens. He he basically does this with a horse drawn buggy. The entire crew of the Enterprise hops on the buggy and they skedaddle out of the way. To figure it, to to continue on their mission, apparently. And that is a great moment. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really really it's a, it's awesome. It's the most badass moment you can get out of an, <laughs> out of a nineteenth century uh, storyline. So, um, like in all those westerns, you've got to have that high speed horse chase at some point in time. Correct. This is, this is Star Trek's version of that. correct. Yeah. So, t- to make a long story short, the Enterprise and the crew have concocted a way to figure out how to uh, how to get back, basically. And when they do that. Twain confronts them, and Twain says he's going to expose them. They in, they encounter one of the Davidians, and in fact, the the cane, the the fugly snake, as we were talking about last time, that uh, is was what's being used to drain the neurological energy from uh, their victims, uh, making it seem like they're dying of cholera. Uh, creates a huge short circuit because of the energy that's from the technology, and the, I think it's from the tricorders that they're using. And literally, Data's head gets blown off of his body right. from a power surge, which now explains how Data got Which is killed. also a great scene. It was so well well uh, done in terms of special effects. It looked really, yeah. it looked really good. Uh, and so now what ends up happening is now, now that they know how Data is dead, as they get beamed back to the future, Data's body makes it back to the future, but his head is now stuck back in right. the past. So what, what does one do? Well, one takes the old head and sticks it on the... New yeah, body. Newer body. And yeah. somehow it manages to work. Now, they couldn't quite get it to work at first because there's something in the way. And here's how. Because Picard is a freaking genius. <laughs> Picard is left in the in the cave with Guinan and one of the aliens. Uh, Guinan's like, hurt. As, as these tend to happen, Picard tends to be left behind in a lot of episodes in TNG. And so, but he's also, apparently he was like an Eagle Scout or something because he just, he knows... <laughs> <laughs> because he knows how to survive. Yeah, it's true. He, he knows how to survive. French Eagle Scout. <laughs> so he picks up this random iron tool and starts like working on Data's head. And he's like, is he trying to fix Data's head and see if he can talk to it? Is he does he know that much about like electrical engineering from the twenty fourth century? We don't know. What it turns out is he's doing is he's using it to to basically essentially use Morse code uh-huh. to beam a me- to to transport a message 500 years into the future which is a 19th century technology and sure enough there they are in the 19th century right. it's it, it all fits it's, it's very fitting. perfect it's to brilliant. the episode it is yeah. absolutely brilliant and the fact that Picard knows Morse code uh, is even more ingenious cuz again he's 500 years in the future yeah but so, keep in mind he's Jean-Luc Picard he's a captain yeah and he's been through Starfleet Academy. So these iron filings, though, uh, this iron tool he used ended up creating some filings that blocked some of the circuits from working that allowed data from being reactivated. Right. Uh, and LaForge finds this and takes him off, but not before realizing that 
there was some encoded Morse code message in one of the chips inside of Data's brain. And so he actually, uh, what ends up happening is when Data is reactivated, Data takes that message and re- and says it to LaForge. Um, basically trying to warn the crew, don't do what you're going to do. What they were going to do is they were going to take uh, the photon torpedoes and they were going to blast the bejesus at the Davidians. Uh, but they warned me, said, if you do that with the way that the torpedoes are currently designed, you're going to destroy your ship. You're going to destroy everybody. Well, not just that, but you're also going to cause a temporal feedback that's going to destroy, you know, a sizable portion of San Francisco in the 19th century. Exactly. So basically, there is this wormhole that's connecting Davidian 2 to 19th century uh, San Francisco. Now, how cool would it have been, though, if this episode took place in 1906 and they, they launched the torpedoes the same and that actually started the, the earthquake that oh led to... Oh, my God. To... That's, that would have been amazing if they could pull that off. Um, what is also happening, I forgot to mention, is that when they get transported back to the future, uh, Samuel Clemens also makes their way back. So he's now on the Enterprise and he, again, being a very pessimistic individual, thinks that this is a militarized future where they're now conquering space. And they said, well, I know what you say, that you're all just explorers, but I, but we've seen this through history. So are the Spanish, you know, and... <laughs> that's true, that's true. You know, and, uh, and he's talking about, oh, you guys don't have cigars? What kind of civilization are you, basically? <laughs> and finally, Troy... It spends a lot of time hitting on Troy, too. Exactly. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's face it, she's it's hot. It's Troy, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> I mean, Riker's a lucky dude. Every other this. episode, someone's hitting on it. Exactly. <laughs> Including it's just sad Riker. that it took 20 years for Riker to finally get back at... Anyway. Exactly. Uh, Sleazy space alien of the week hits on Troy. But what yeah, I love is a it, lot. But what she I, has a headache. But what I love is that Troy... And I also love the, the reaction that Clemens has when he encounters one of the blue-skinned uh, aliens. I can't remember what they're called. The Andorian? The Andorian, or, yeah. no, was it a... Was uh, it a Bolian? Bolian. It was a Bolian, yeah. yeah. He's like that blue-skinned fellow, like... And he, again, thinks that that's a subjugated species of people. And he says, right. no, he's not. He's here because he wants to be. Oh, well, there's always a privileged few. And finally, Deanna Troy just earnestly tells him, no, we got past that. We don't have poverty anymore. We don't have prejudice anymore. Yeah. Humanity has progressed past. And he realizes, oh, this is really not the future that I thought it was. Uh, things are actually a lot better. And he he doesn't believe her at first. It's like he has to seek clarification because he comes from a mindset of nothing but prejudice, right? Yeah. That's Again, that's what I said last time, too. That was the essential motivator for writing The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is he was talking, he was addressing the prejudices of the 19th century towards blacks. But you would think then when he got back, you know, to his own time period, he would have been so much more of a happy person. But instead, actually, uh, he, this was his downfall right around this time. It was his the, the peak of his career. And then from this point forward, it was a spiral down. And he suffered with severe depression for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, you would think that his little trip to the 24th century would have... Uh, would have enlightened would, him. Would have fixed that. Yeah, but apparently uh, it broke him. Um, and I also... <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know why that's funny. Yeah. But it just... And uh, I also forgot to mention, too, that... The reason why he thinks that this is also post uh, Connecticut Yankee and Connecticut's court. That's right. Yeah. Which, which was, makes reference to in the episode. It I does. And it's a perfect yeah. reference because that is, again, literature's example of time travel. Yeah. So he has a very dystopian view of futures time traveling anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think we can all agree it was a fantastic episode. Brian, obviously, is incredibly excited about it. I don't think I've ever seen you this excited about an episode of Star Trek ever. <laughs> and uh, I think I did it justice. I think I explained it pretty well. You did. You did a very good job. Extremely well. I forgot about the bullion. That, yeah. that was good. You pulled, yeah, then the earthquake uh, bit from the previous episode. That and was, and the high-speed horse cart getaway. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 yeah. that was a great moment. Um, well done, Brian, is what I'm trying to say. Well done. Thank you, You know sir. what? I'm, I'm not ready to call you a Trekkie yet, 
But when that day comes, I will think back to No, I think I have to know the model number of the... Uh... We'll upgrade you to Trekaway level two. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, th- I think if You're at once... least a second year cadet by this point. Yeah, I, I have to know the model number of the phasers they were using in the episode, plus the iteration of the tricorder they were using to know ex- to be really considering myself a Trekkie. And Fair. that I'm working on. Well, they were type two phasers, but I... anyway, that's not the point. That's not the point. I'm not showing off, but I kind of am. Uh, They're engineering tricorders, medical tricorders, and science tricorders. <laughs> yeah, got to know the difference. They got the little probe. What, the probe what's a tricorder? Like... Engineering, medical, or science? I don't know that. <laughs> what? How is it you know these things? When you're a Trekkie, you must know these things. Um, anyway, moving forward. Moving forward. I think we've reached the point where we should talk about what I think is... Probably Maybe, the best time travel episode in any of the Star Trek episodes. Which really isn't a time travel episode per se, but it certainly puts us into one of the most meaningful and um, most powerful episodes of Star Trek, uh, which is comes to us from Deep Space Nine. Uh, and this is, of course, uh, Far Beyond the Stars. Now, Jeremy mentioned to me way back one day when we were having lunch the significance behind Deep Space Nine, because this was the last property in the Star Trek universe that was originally conceived of by Gene Roddenberry. Right. Right? That is he had, true. He had conceived of it way back even to, in the early uh, days he of the original series. He wanted to do something on a space station, but it never really evolved right. until a bit later. So what was Roddenberry's original concept, Jeremy? It was more It was more like a space western. And and Cisco was the sheriff of this you know space station on the edge of the frontier. And it was right. very western-like in its theme. Lots of writers have tried to achieve the space western, to marry sci-fi and western with varying success. And arguably, that's what Firefly did well. Yeah. yeah. It did very feel like it was like a, a space show and a western. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the charm of the show, yeah. where others had tried and, and failed to achieve that. It, they really right. did. Well, to the point where they, they re- even talked like they were from the West. Or yeah. Like, remember, yeah. the original title for Star Trek, uh, when it was conceptualized, was Wagon Train to the Stars. So that also has kind of a... a is, that, is that seriously what it was going to be true. called? Yes. Wow. That, that's what Roddenberry had originally imagined the, the, the title to be. So, you know, that's very in line with this whole idea. Yeah, to me, Wagon Train to the Stars though, sounds like a really like bad Western celebrity like, uh, tour. Yeah, Wagon Train to the Stars. It's like, over here we have John Wayne, and over <laughs> here terrible. we've got John Ford, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, yes. Yeah, so I'm glad that they changed it. Star Trek is simpler. Yeah. And it, it was a good decision. Point. Yes, indeed. Yes. But uh, I agree, though. It, this is, of course, this whole frontier uh, element of it all. In fact, Bashir in the whole first season keeps talking about how he wanted to do frontier medicine. That's right. Frontier medicine. That's Constantly right. Constantly talking is, about it. Bashir is the British um, the doctor, yes. Doctor, yes. He's the bones of the, this The wonder this kid. Yeah. The and, medical wonder kid. And Ben Sisko. Who's going to be on Game of Thrones yes. next season? And Ben Sisko, Benjamin Sisko, played by Avery Brooks, mm-hmm. uh, is the captain of these, this space station, Deep Space Nine. And Originally of course, commander, but finally gets a proper ship, so they make yes. him a captain. Um and what's more significant about this, particularly this episode, is that uh, Cisco is black. Yes. Yes. And again, we're at a point in time in history where, or in the future, where that doesn't matter. They, they literally have eradicated the perception of race. Um, kind of. I'm going to argue that later in the episode, but... Well, they use it in different ways. I think they use it more with speciesism. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which is still a form of prejudice, but the... but. In fact, he's dealing with those prejudices at the very beginning of this episode as well. Correct, because there's, there's, there's different feuding... Uh, races that are, or not different, shouldn't say races, different feuding species that they are encountering uh, at the station. And we're also, in classic epic form, we're, we're starting this episode in Medias Res. Something bad has just happened. Yeah. Uh, where he's just lost a close friend um, because of this conflict. The Deep Space Nine is 
on the edge of uh, of enemy territory, the Cardassian. And this not is gonna... a serious conflict. This is at yeah. this point in the series that had escalated to the point where you know this was all out war. People were dying in the millions, uh, if not billions, by the end of the war. I mean, there was a lot of really horrible things going on, and Cisco was in a dark place. The character himself, you know, had been so triumphant in the beginning of the series to uh, advert war, but now had failed at every attempt and now was caught right in the middle. Of Correct. It. And uh, so, uh, by the way, so this episode is uh, season six, episode 14, by the way, for those 13. who want to go. So thir- 13? 13. Episode 13. Uh, for those who I want to. I have 14 in my notes, too. I don't know. Well, it's one of the two. So you, if you're on Close Netflix, you'll, they'll, they'll, they'll the be stars. right you'll, next to you'll it. You'll find it. Yeah, it's in season six. <laughs> we'll, we'll say that for sure. And you're right. And the thing is that at this point, Cisco is very distressed. Uh, and when your mind is distressed, you know, you're, you're not functioning on all cylinders, things are going to happen. And he has a history of already of having these visions that have happened in previous uh, he, he t- His events. father's visiting, and he tells his father he's thinking about resigning and right. just, just giving up. Yeah. And his father, who's never left Earth, by the way, which I love, his first trip away from Earth is to as far away as possible <laughs> in the middle of a freaking war. Sorry, I've just had to. I, yeah, I feel like it's a good time was, to finally leave. Her. And his father was like, well, "What's his father in the show? Like 60, 70? something like that." His seventies, yeah. 70s, yeah. Oh, I haven't left Earth in seventy years. Let's go to the other side of the galaxy in the middle of the world. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's adventurer spirit, I guess. Um, so, uh, and of course, you also see Cisco's wife, Cisco's child, uh, and there, and his son is like 16, 17 years old. It looks like he looks like he's almost uh, an adult at this point. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention that, you know, Brock Peters uh, was also a pioneering, you know, African-American actor in, in the in the 70s, I believe it was. And, he's, and of course, he plays Cisco's father. Or actually, earlier than that, he had been doing stuff since the 1940s. Yeah. So, you know, just worth mentioning because Absolutely. of what we're going to talk about. You, you'll recognize episode. him when you see him. Definitely. Right? He's, exactly. a, he's a well-known um, character actor. You'll, oh, I know that guy. So, what happens is on the space station, Cisco starts to have these visions of people from the 19. 19- 60s 50s 50s uh people from the 1950s and one is this guy who looks frightfully like uh help me out here like odo, odo. like odo. odo yeah who looks like the guy who plays odo but is dressed in 1950s right uh garb and then all of a sudden you see a guy who you would think is wharf but is not wharf at all it's just a man dressed as a in a baseball player saying hey benny did you catch the game and so these characters from his 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 visions are coming through exactly. into his reality, and pretty soon those lines pretty much blur. And he is Benny, and he is back in 1950, and he is in the past, essentially, in that sense. Yes, and they find out, the way that this makes the full transference is, again, uh, Bashir tells him that uh, your, your neurological patterns are going back to the way they were when you had those... You have an LSD flashback, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's essentially almost like a, a space post- LSD. It's almost like a post-traumatic stress D- kind of DS- situation. Or was it LDS? DS- DLS. Yeah, DLS. DLS. Uh, but it's essentially it's one of those um, like PTSD yeah. moments where he's he's just he's now just getting further and further into this delusion uh, to the point when they ask him to read the the patterns. Bam! He's now fully in the illusion, and now he is uh, and he is Benny Benny Russell. Uh, he doesn't who, remember Cisco per se. He doesn't exactly. know he's Cisco. Exactly. He is Benny, and so now he's living in uh, 1950s America in New York. In New York, working as a sci-fi writer for Galaxy Magazine, and it's kind of cool because what you basically end up seeing is it's a very Wizard of Oz like episode, and that yeah. every character you see it's from the, the show is uh, playing another. And it's cool because you see them without their makeup. You see Michael Dorn, who made his career as Worf. 
out of his makeup and he doesn't speak in the same voice you would you wouldn't even know it was him unless unless you you were told he does seem very different yeah he, he yeah. looks totally different he sounds totally different the only way you know is because he's freaking huge right he's willie <laughs> he's willie hawkins exactly he's this big tall and his voice the ex- most ex- iconic ex- voice in in star trek history Right, but, but but again, his voice is Brian says his Worf voice sounds is, different to him. It does because it's his okay. voice is Worf is is grovelly and it sounds. But I'll tell you this: Michael Dorn, when he first started the role as Worf, his voice was very different. After playing the role, being on the most episodes of Star Trek out of any other character or any other actor in Star Trek history, his voice now is Worf. Like, literally, it has damaged his vocal cords to the point where he sounds like Worf all the time. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Michael Doran has... he. You listen to him now, in pretty much any interview he does, he's a little bit more, you know, perky and, and plucky than Worf is right. in personality, because he's the actual person, Michael Doran, but he sounds exactly like Worf. Yeah. But I think what you're hearing is the, the difference in inflection, the fact that he's talking like a baseball player from the 1950s yeah, yeah, and not he, like a Klingon. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. He, But that's enough to make it, to, to create some difference, I think. So, anyway, um, what ends up happening is Russell gets, or Benny gets this assignment to draw, to do a story based off of this art thing he sees. And this art thing this piece of illustration he's given by one of the artists is essentially Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So he, as Benny, now writes this story about Benjamin Sisko and about all the characters who he really is, right? And of course, what's so significant about this is that the story he's writing, the lead character in it, is black. And this Correct. is the 1950s. And he himself is an author in the 1950s who is African-American. Correct. Who is working for a company who is not allowing his true identity to come out, as was very common for if you wanted to be an author in you know at that time. Uh, either you were published by a publication that was exclusively African-American, or you wrote with a pen name. Correct. And this is, and they point out all the prejudices that are going on in this point in the world too, because there's also a female writer. And there's also a Jewish writer as well, which I find interesting is there's this whole dynamic of all these different, but they're all running under, writing under pen names and they're all writing. They're also having pictures inserted uh, into the magazine. That's not them. Uh, And there's a love the line that that Cassidy says, or or not Cassidy. Um, she says, God forbid they find out that Casey's a woman, you know, and... Uh, they, have, they have picture day. Yeah. And and the, the publisher comes in, or the, the editor comes in and says, hey, uh, we can't, we got to hide. The the gal can sleep in that day. She, don't come into work because we don't want to put you in the picture because people will freak out. And Benny, sorry, you can't be in the picture either. We can't have the black guy or the woman in the picture. Right. we to have a bunch of white dudes yeah. whose actual name is... Of, of the writers yeah. that we're going to put in the magazine. Her, her name is Kay Eaton, though, in the script. I don't know if they ever say it in the actual episode. They say I can't Casey remember. Eaton, yeah. But Kate, well, Casey Hunter is her pen name. Right. Kay Eaton is her is her. Oh, real thank you. Name. Yes, yes. But Kay, I mean, we know a Kay, obviously, but you know, that could also be a a, a men's man's name. It could be right. like the first right. initial of a name, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. What's also important is I think the role that this editor plays, right? Because this editor, again, played by Rene Abergenois, uh, also no, no, as, uh, the, 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 the 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 editor, the, yes. the boss is is the guy who plays Quark or Armin Shimmerman. No, 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 the editor, no. no the editor's, I'm going to revert. The editor, no, no, no. Aaron Zimmerman is, is the guy I'm who plays Quark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he is great. And again, another c- c- person you would not recognize without the makeup because he looks completely different. Well, not only that, but he plays this character who is so far left, which is so opposite of what Quark is, who is so far, far right. beyond yeah, the yeah, yeah. right that he's Quark's come back around. To... And this character is a, a very socialist. My right. theory is that Quark is so far to the right that he's come back around and he's now to the left. of the <laughs> that's, that, that's a tangent, though. What I was going to say is this editor is so important because this editor represents the passive racism that existed in that yes. time period. He yeah. himself does not have any prejudice toward any of the people in his group. He sees them all as valuable individuals, but his publisher... He has yes. to force the status quo. Exactly. He's not willing to fight and fuck he, the system. that is where the problem lies. Is he, he's not willing to change things. He sees them as assets in a business, and he has to make business decisions so that he keeps his job. Exactly. He's not seeing them as... I, I, I agree that he sees them as being valuable, but I don't, he doesn't see them as human. And that's that's the problem. And in a way, Odo's playing the cop role. He's yeah. preserving the status quo and not letting things to change. He's the constable. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But isn't this so true of... I, I just love that metaphor because how many times have we, throughout history, been so reluctant to change something, even though we know it's the right thing to do, because we're worried about the negative uh, aspects? Like he says, we can't publish this, this story uh, because it's a great story, but what if it causes a race riot? What if we... Right. You know, I think about what stalled the civil rights movement pretty much since the end of the Civil War was that very mentality, was that very way of thinking where you had some people who were very outspoken and vocal. Yeah. But, you know, they weren't able to work together as a large enough group to make that change. Nobody was brave enough to really come forward until until later. I would argue there were there were two movements in the South. There was a whole other argument going on uh, in the Reconstruction era going forward. There were two forms of racism. One was the lesser of two evils. But basically, one was that basically that blacks were essentially animals. And they actually even used race science to back that up. That they were, they, were, they were closer to apes than white humans were. Remember, there's air quotes around that yes, science. Yes, that is, that is detestable. And it was also the race science that Hitler used to justify uh, persecuting against the Jews and gypsies and any other <laughs> people he didn't like. Um but there was also this ironically more compassionate form of racism that said that, well, yes, these are people who should be respected and they should be free, but they also can't be allowed to govern them, govern themselves because they're not sophisticated. They're, they're like children. Exactly. Right, 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 Which yeah. is even more, I think, is equally as insulting. Um, so that's what was going on in the South. In the North, yes, you do have people who were born free, who are interacting amongst society since, arguably, since the founding of our country. But you do have these perceptions that are going on. And now that you're talking about post-13th Amendment in America, you're dealing with uh, how, do we recti- how do we rectify that? How do we reconcile the, the, the problems from the past with what we've now got going on? And you see this in New York a lot, particularly. And I'm glad that they chose New York as this location because you're also talking about in the 1920s, there was a Harlem Renaissance Right where you start to see now the birth of right. of jazz being integrated into and literature and of literature was a huge part of that you know, absolutely part of and that. they love how they mentioned Langston Hughes and they and the, uh, that was a, a direct callback to the Harlem Renaissance. Um, you also have we talked about this before uh, in the 1920s. You have um, Burt Williams, who was the star of the Ziegfeld Follies in New York, was uh, the highest paid black actor ever, <laughs> pretty much at that point in time, and Ziegfeld was like, screw it. Look, he's the one guy, his entire cast and crew of The Follies wanted to quit that show. And they said, no, I mean, if you guys want to quit, do it. Everyone is replaceable except for this guy. And he was pointing to Burt Williams. Yeah. So 
there was people in that time period who were trying to be progressive. There were, well, and, and, and I wasn't denying that. What I'm saying yeah. is that people weren't working together. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is that they, they, they had these right. lone wolves that were out there. But unless you work as a pack, you're not going to. Exactly. Gonna and a, a even change. even in the realms of theater, like when you get to the first show written by uh, African-American actors and stuff, you get to hearing things that uh, like it was not accepted by a white audience. It was only. And that's the whole point of the episode, right, is that they're thinking that a non-black uh, audience will not identify with this with these characters would you clarify the benny writes a sci-fi story which he turns into the magazine and in the sci-fi story it's about ben cisco and his space station in the future and the people there but ben cisco is black and his magazine says you cannot have a science fiction story where the leader is black people will not accept that exactly well what i think is interesting is that this episode as as iconica has become could have very well been two totally different episodes if they had written a little differently, and they tried to, in fact. Uh, the first idea around this actually focused as Jake Sisko, as uh, Ben Sisko's son, as being the lead character, and have nothing to do with race at that time. Uh, it was a, a loose idea, nothing really materialized with it, and it just kind of disappeared. Uh, another idea that was similar to this, but turned into a different uh, two-parter called Past Tense, uh, back in season three, where they actually make it a time travel episode, but not far enough back to qualify for our episode today, actually saw Cisco as being a uh, homeless schizophrenic man living on the street, having delusions that he himself is a captain of a space station. And then he was being drugged to suppress these these delusions. But in fact, it was an element of the actual reality. And that's where this whole idea that what is this? Is this really him just kind of having these residual hallucinations or is he in fact right, as, you're, as you're watching the episode you're, is, is Cisco going crazy and he's he's, 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 he's having a mental breakdown because his buddy died and he has PTSD yeah. or is 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 the whole show just a, a dream and, and, and DS9 only exists in Benny's imagination and right. Benny starts having these breakdowns as well he at one point he is writing on his typewriter and he gets up and he looks at the reflection in the window and he sees Ben Sisko on the other side in full Starfleet uniform, and he freaks out for a second. And he has this moment with Cassie where he doesn't know if he's losing his mind. He he can't tell what the stories are and what reality is. Cassie's his girlfriend. Cassie's his girlfriend. Who is, again, the play, an actress who plays his wife in the future. So Correct. Yes. Um, uh, Cassidy Yates, very similar names. Yes. And the, the, the kicker is that, you know, he is so down on his luck at this point. You know, he's, he's so fed up with everything that's going on. And he's so sick of all the discrimination. And what pushes him over the edge is the death of his friend who gets, you know, killed by these crooked cops who, of course, are played by the actors who play the, the you know, protagonist. His friend in the, fif- in the, the 50s. Antagonist, excuse me. So yeah. Benny's friend in the 50s gets, yeah. gets killed by, by crooked cops because he's, he's black and he gets, he gets killed as well. Benny gets beat up. And now it's exacerbating his, his breakdown. Yeah, yeah. He has this complete and total... Total breakdown. Yeah, and his friend who is also the naysayer, too. That was the other thing that was sad, too, is all of his other supporters in his life were also saying, don't do this. You can't You can't accomplish this. Again, talking about... Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Exactly. Again, talking about the black experience at that point in time. And it still happens to this day is that when you have those socioeconomic situations in, those some, in some of those communities that are leaving people in their circumstances, they don't think they can ever get out of them. So don't right. try. 
And this right. whole, uh, you know, the, the, the dynamic with the Willie Hawkins character is also really interesting, even though it's only on screen for a short time. But, you know, you had those situations now where you had the African-American League and you had, you know, black baseball players and, and they were becoming very, you know, popular and very prominent in, in the sports world. Right. And now they're Jackie being, Robinson, right? Yeah. And they could yeah. go from the poorest of the poor to really making it for themselves now. And, and you kind of see Benny looking at that and saying, well, why can't I do that? But why can't I do that with my words? You know, why does it have to be sports? Why can't right. I actually... I, I, I get people to read these fantastic stories and be inspired every day. Why can't I do that? Right. And it's uh, really... And, and even his even Cassie is trying to tell him, well, you can write for the paper. And he said, I'm not a, I'm not I'm a not reporter. Yeah. I'm a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I write fiction. You know? And uh, again, he just sees... He doesn't... He's one of those people who is... He's, he's an optimist, right? He yeah. says, this can be better. And he doesn't want to give up on it either. Like, let's, uh, I don't understand why we have to, to do things the way we're doing them now. You know, uh, it's a very Steve Jobs-like moment, <laughs> I will say, when it comes to those innovator kind of. But I think in the ideology. end, we can all agree that, you know, an episode like this wasn't just done to address, you know, the issue of, of race. It was done because it was such a well-written story. It was done because it had an important and poignant message. And it was done as a tribute to all those African-American writers who were out there in the 1950s who were struggling to get their science fiction or any kind of writing written. Uh, and to see that now come to life, it was really a tribute, is what it was more than anything. Yeah, and um, very fitting that Avery Book Brooks, who plays Cisco, directed the episode. He did, well. and he was approached by the producers and said, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to direct this episode? We've had got this idea. We've been floating around for a little while. It's gone through a diff couple different alliterations. What do you think? And uh, I was reading an interview with Brooks um, just earlier today where he was 100% on board with it. And he had directed several other episodes of DS9. I remember the, the journalist who was interviewing him asked him, was this your favorite? And he said, well, or was this the funnest one to do? He said, well, I wouldn't say it was the funnest. So obviously there was a deep connection to, to what he was doing. He sure. there was no meaning lost in what he yeah. was uh, what he was doing. Definitely, and that's actually fairly common in long running series. Is that uh, after a while the leading actors will um, get a chance to direct some of the episodes? They did it on Friends. It's happened on Smallville. It's happened on numbers of different TV shows. So it's kind of cool that he got a chance to do that, but also do it for something that was poignant right. as well. Well, now that we've gone to the highlight of these two part series. Well, well, we're going to finish it somewhere else. I there's think. one more thing I want to say about Farming okay, and the fair Stars. Enough. Please do. It makes the, this conversation makes it sound like a, a huge downer of an episode. And it's and not, though. It's not. It's, it's eventually, it's a very hopeful episode. Yeah. Because at the end, you, you see the hope for the future. And again, Roddenberry's optimistic vision of the future. Cisco decides not to quit. Yeah. Not to give on. Even if the world's against him and he's facing all kinds of pressures because Benny faced that pressure and kept going. Right. It encourages Cisco to say, you know, I, I have to soldier on. I can't give up. I have to keep going. I was just said, this is a very dramatic episode. It's worth watching. And for another great element is you see all the main actors in the show playing different characters. And so yeah. we mentioned a few of them earlier. We see Odo as the, the publisher, the cop. We see Quark as now the, the communist. Uh, and you, we... Uh, the other fun one is is Dax, who's the super smart science <laughs> who's officer. A total ditz is is the is the ditzy secretary yeah. in, in the past. Yeah, a total opposite, it. and she does a great job. Oh, she yeah. playing that it. character. She has so much fun just playing this this clueless character. It's, well, it's after at, six very seasons, she was ready to do something yeah. like that. Yeah, and I love the bit when she reads the story. She's like, "Oh, he's got a worm." 
Oh, that's gross. Oh, no, she. There's a worm in her belly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's gross, but that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and you, and you of course, see, talking about her character. Yes, yeah. exactly. You get to see the actor who plays Martok without his eye patch, yep. without his makeup. Yep. And he's he's very entertaining to see in person in person as well as like the this this cigar chomping illustrator uh-huh. who's, who's, who's entertaining as well. I and then you get to see the the villains, uh, Dukat and Wayun without, without the makeup as well. as, yeah. as the crooked cops. And uh, I really like Jeffrey Combs who plays Wayum, and you get to see him play a slight variation of his character that's very entertaining. And both of them, they act in their eyes so much that you, yes. you, you 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 instantly connect with the villains that you've known for several seasons. So it is really something. And this ties into the overall mythos of DS9 too, because apparently these these visions are triggered by the prophets, and they're right. either sending a message to to Cisco to kind of encourage him to not give up, and that ties into Cisco's overall destiny and the end of the show. So you could you could argue that this episode is setting up for the an arc that goes on in season seven to the conclusion of the sto- of the show. Yes, indeed, a very haphazard conclusion, but that's for a whole other podcast. <laughs> Um, I did not enjoy the last season of DS9 that much. They were added gems, but the first, oof. They ran out of time. They packed a lot in a very short amount of time. I, I, I literally cried. I remember crying when I picked up the TV. You remember TV guides? Remember those used to be a thing? <laughs> yeah. There was a TV guide. It was talking What's about. What's that, Daddy? It was talking about when Dax le- was leaving the show, when, when Jerry Farrell was leaving the show. And I literally remember sitting there reading this crying. My mom came up. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, I can't talk about it yet. It's too soon. What's a TV guy? Yeah, exactly. Then we got Ditsy Dax, which who I, I never really liked. Ooh, Esri. Somebody should have shot her with a. You took the smartest character bullet. in the show and made him the dumbest. And then I was like, ah. Was, so, so, so I like Dax being the dumb secretary for one episode because yeah. it's, it's funny. It's out but of character. A whole character. season, we don't need that. A whole season of that, and you're just like, oh my goodness, you just ruined a great character. That's just terrible. Well, let's 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 talk about let's talk about one more. Because that's all we, we, we have time for. We're going to do it a quick one because there's not a whole lot of content behind here. But I did want to mention it at least. Go ahead. Uh, and that is Future's End. Boom. So Jeremy hates Voyager. <laughs> I, I With love, a passion. I love all Star Trek, even when it's not at its finest. Um, Voyager got me to not watch Star Trek for years. Except for Code of Honor and, DS, and, and, and TNG. It's the only episode of Star Trek I will skip. But... Uh, that was the really, really Code of hor- Honor's pretty bad. That was the man. horrible racist episode <laughs> of TNG <laughs> that I will never watch again. Speaking of racial themes in Star Trek, that's when Star Trek does it wrong. Yeah, it was so bad. Oh dear Lord, we could do a whole episode on how bad that was, but we're not but going in, in to. In fairness, that was a recycled script that they had left. They're going to reboot the original series as yeah. Star Trek Phase Two. Oh. And it was a script they had left over from that, which is so weird because it, it was outdated even for the original series. It was. It so. was. It was already outdated, and they had it sitting around for years. Like, well, let's do this because it's already written. It'll we'll save money. Yeah. Oh, so dear, so, so bad. Anyway, well, what they didn't do, they didn't save their credibility. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, futures end though, is uh, not from the uh, New 52 uh, DC comic book series. That's a whole other nerdy podcast. But instead, we're talking about an episode of Voyager. Two Voyager, episodes. Season three, episodes, episodes eight, eight and nine. nine. Yep. And in this episode, uh, they encounter a time traveler from the future, from the 29th century, and his time ship. And he emits this... <sighs> I know, it's so dumb. He, <laughs> Captain Braxton. It gets worse. Who returns in... 
uh, anyway, I can't even talk about it. It's so dumb. But he, he it's shoots... Just, he, Voyager's responsible for destroying the, the, the Earth in the future. So he has so to I've wipe them out. So I've been sent in the past to wipe out Voyager here in the Delta. Never mind. Which makes they, no never sense. mind they had 500 years before that could possibly have happened. It doesn't make any sense Because Voyager has to have some other part in the... It was so dumb. Anyway, he shoots this, what one might assume is a phaser, but is somehow... Like only destroying them in time and not matter because just blowing them up is not sufficient. Voyager, the, I don't the ship that's lost in space, yeah. has been beat up. It yeah. has all these missing parts. It's, it's not in a very good shape. Takes on this 29th century time ship and uh-huh. and beats it. Yeah, and it's fine. So yeah. th- this is saying that the 29th century Starfleet is incompetent because <laughs> yeah. they send the, a ship that's apparently with a not, crew of one, a crew of one, a crew of one to go blow up this rickety old rust bucket, and, the, and it can't do it. <laughs> Instead, the rickety rust bucket beats him up. I'm like, what? What? That doesn't make any sense at all. And of course, he falls back into the temporal vortex that he's opened, and Voyager naturally follows. To be fair, reason. to and, be and, fair. And he doesn't go to the 29th century where he's from. Somehow... He goes it, back in time <laughs> even further. It goes to 1996. Because okay, so this is happens when the episode... I, it goes I back even to, further than I that. have to interject oh, yeah. here for a second. I do firmly remember the episode of TNG where Scotty shows up. And there's a whole moment where they have to use the old rickety technology from the 22nd century. Yeah, and yeah. They have to... But you're missing the point. That was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what's your point? The point is that I'm saying that the plausibility of old technology outdoing new technology has been shown to work in the past. No, because other... all they do in that episode is they take the old Junker ship <laughs> and they and they and they they wedge it in a door. They just stick like stick yeah. It. That's, that's all the ship does is they just shove it in a hole and <laughs> hope it doesn't blow up long enough to keep the hole open for a while. Okay, because the door. That's all they do with the old ship. I just shove it in there and hope it. Okay, we're gonna hold it together long enough so it doesn't blow up till the the other ship could get through the hole. That's, that's all that's going on. All right, fair it's enough. It's like st- sticking your foot in the door. You know, you know, anybody can do that. Okay, but, fair enough. <laughs> uh, we, we we digress. Um, so anyway, Voyager ends up in the past in 1996. Captain Braxton goes back even further than that into like the 1960s. I think it's 67 or something, or something, like, something yeah. like that. Yeah, where he encounters some, you know idiot who's sitting there like playing the drums on his canteen Some hippie dude, yeah, yeah. yeah well he's so you're stoned saying this guy's now henry star thousand Henry's years Starling. in his past yeah point. yeah pretty much he's a thousand years in his past and uh his time ship crashes and this henry sterling guy takes the time ship and over the next 40 years cannibalizes it and he is the reason for the whole tech boom uh of silicon valley he's the reason oh. that it all Although wow. he does it in Los Angeles, which also doesn't make any sense. Wow. Why would not be in San Jose? So this is now pseudo down. history that we're getting into. Basically, it, it is a little bit of pseudo history, but we were already at that point because you got to remember from 1993 forward, the eugenics war was supposed to be taking place. Uh, that was set up back in TOS. So by this point, we had already created kind of an alternate reality. What I do well, find what they did is they, they so TOS the eugenics war would have been in 96. And so when I when I was heard it about 96, that was 93. I thought it was 96. You might be right. Because I, I remember I remember reading about this episode online before it aired. Uh, some oh. website that's talking about Star Trek. Like, oh, that's great. We're going to see the eugenics wars oh. and Khan on Voyager. And I thought, oh, that's going to be awesome. That would be go such back a, why didn't they do that? That would have been fantastic if they had done an alternate history with you. And I always thought they could do it, that the eugenics wars, the whole thing is they were secret. Yeah. They were fought by shadow governments, yeah. and that's why we don't know they exist, which would be which would be cool. Oh man! Uh, but no, they, they just had this episode with this time traveling. Yeah. yeah, and he becomes a homeless schizophrenic guy at some point, uh, and then and then it, the whole you know, folks, we don't need to recap this episode in its entirety. All you need to know is a couple of its gems, uh, <laughs> because it did end up on the show for a few reasons. So one, it was fun to explore nineteen ninety. 
six, just like, you know, with the voyage home when they went back and explored the 1980s. It was at that time. But, so but was, I, I can't think of a single good 1996 joke that they did. Well, I love Sarah Silverman. I thought Sarah Silverman's inclusion in the whole thing was It has a good cast cast. Ed Bigley Jr. Yeah. as Henry Starling, as yep. the villain. And I thought the whole overtones of the fact that the dot-com era was going on, and there was a lot of industrial espionage happening at that time, uh, and there was a lot of it in the media. It was starting so, to come out. But I hated out. that. Cause so, so, so let's see. So the other episodes we just we talked about, right? When we go back, the original series, we go back to pre-World War II, we have Edith Keeler and, and her, her her homeless shelter. That's plausible. That could have happened in history, right? Right. That's, that's entirely, entirely possible. Right. Star Trek The Voyage Home, where they go save the whales and bring it to the future. They don't really interfere with that 80s timeline. True. And that's somewhat possible. You know, that transparent aluminum may be a bit of a stretch, but that's... Although, the Gordon Fisherman's evil uh, twin brother was awfully surprised when he saw a Klingon ship. The giant ship, ship up here, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, decloak yeah, yeah, in front of him. Elucidating out in the water, you know, tall tales on fish. It's a big fish story. So exactly. that, that that could have happened, all right? Okay. We, Times Arrow, it, Samuel Clements could have been in San Francisco at that time, and Jack London could have. It's it's plausible. It could have happened. It's it's still within the realm of possible history. Here we know Henry Starling did not invent all this computer technology, because we know that history. And I'm familiar with that computer history. So I'm watching this episode, and they're like, oh yeah, he invented the microprocessor and all the other... Which he did, did. of course. And I'm like, yeah. this is baloney. This is not plausible in yeah. history at all. Unlike every other thing we've discussed so far. Benny could have existed too. He, that, that, it could have happened. This is the first one that could not have happened. You know what? You make a very good point, but I will counter it with Tuvok saying, eat your breakfast burrito. <laughs> that was... For me, it was a defining moment of Voyager. It was, and that's sad. <laughs> that is a defining best moment. Episode of the, uh, yeah. A defining. It so, was the moment when Tuvok let down his guard and could ingest a breakfast burrito. Can I? Uh. Can I? Knowing very little about the uh, the precursors to the Star Trek universe, is it possible the eugenics war was was a corporate war and not an actual government war? No. Or no? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, not so, the way they described it in Space Seed. So, Sorry. Yeah. Okay. My other, my other point is just an interesting, interesting theory, though. Yeah. All, all the other episodes, they have good humor. They have jokes. They remember. I remember jokes from Star Trek Four. I remember jokes from Times Arrow. I, right. I remember jokes from from the different. They did a good job of making jokes with that time. The fish out of water stuff. I can't. To tell you, told me the breast burrito. It's the first thing I remember. I can't remember a single joke okay, from these two hours. How about they're driving they, around in the van with Sarah Silverman, okay. and they, she acknowledges the fact that they're secret agents, right? Okay, Tom Paris, who is, of course, the aficionado in the 1990s, uh, only, you know, he doesn't get things quite right. So then he starts making references to the KGB. And that, that's, that's baloney, too. Because Paris is an expert in the 20th century. That's his hobby, is studying this. He would he knew he was in 96, because they knew that before they went down. He would know the Cold War is over. He I, I, I don't buy him making such a dumbass mistake, because he's smarter than that. He wouldn't he wouldn't say the KGB. He knows the Cold All War right. is over. So then can we just, because we have to wrap this up. Let's just acknowledge <laughs> the fact that the, the remaining joke, the, 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 the joke that prevails the most, is the episode itself. There we go. Well, this episode does have one good thing. For me, 
My favorite part of Voyager is Robert Picardo as the Doctor. Oh, who is, again, one of the greatest Star Trek actors uh, in the entire run of them all. He's fantastic. He's a great, great character actor. He's super funny. Ever, all he, of his episodes that he was the center around were all pretty good. They're great. And this episode gives him this mobile hollow emitter. Yeah. So previously, he's a hologram. He can only appear on Sick Bay and the, and the Holodeck. And the Holodeck. Where there's, where there's hologram emitters, because that's the only place he can exist on Voyager. Right. That makes the scenes he can be in and the interactions very limited. So he... Here, this is season three. They realized that Picardo is a great asset, and he's actually the breakout star of the show. They, really they thought is, it was yeah. going to be Ethan, who's playing Neelix. Oh God! And no. it turns out he's not the breakout show star no. of the show. He was very annoying, and you know that wasn't fault of the actor so much as the way the character was written. Keep Neelix in the pantry. Yeah, there we go. So they realized, okay, we have this great guy. We got to get him off out of sickbay. How do we? So they they invent this 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 mobile hollow emitter that now allows them to send Robert Picardo, the Doctor, yeah. on away missions and have him roam around the ship. It's a great it's a great tool. Sure, but to let could, him do more stuff. But they could have encountered an alien technology that allowed him to totally. Yeah, exactly. Instead of instead of Captain Incompetent from the 29th century. Yes. I will, I will finish this by saying, though, I am glad that they waited a little while because I do love that episode, uh, I think it was in season two, where they try to send him to uh, engineering. They try to install hollow emitters in there and they make him really teeny tiny. Well, the, the, yeah, or they only... accidentally send him outside the ship. Yeah, that was really funny, too. That was uh, good. The, the, the good moments. Yeah. Right, okay, the ending, too, for, 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 for Future's End. All right? So Starling is going to fly. He's repaired the time ship that crashed in 67. He's going to fly it back into the future. And they realize that is what is going to destroy the future. Right, right. And so Voyager takes on the time ship again and beats it again. <laughs> and I'm like, again? The, 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 the beat-up ship beats the 29th century ship again? And then after they do that, that fixes the timeline. So now Braxton shows up. Right. For the time, it goes, oh, okay, you fixed the timeline. Now I'll send you back to your own time. This guy who's been incompetent so far <laughs> is suddenly competent enough to get them back to the. Oh, it's just, it's just terrible. And then when he shows up later in the series, he he has the memories of actually being oh. in the past, and he looks old. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Look, so we've talked yeah. about lots of time travel on different shows so far. And you know what? They, they've, made, they've made logical sense. This is the first one where it doesn't make logical yeah. sense. Can I just say that this episode has upset you two so much that I've heard you guys break your thought and just go and out of frustration like six <laughs> times <laughs> <laughs> per person at this point. Uh, fantastic, It is gentlemen. a pretty bad episode. Yeah. Um, Why don't we get into some listener feedback? Oh, right. This week in Listener Feedback. We got some feedback from Sam. Uh, he was a little disappointed that when we did our spy episode, we didn't talk about World War II. Well, we did say why we didn't do it, because we believe that World War II's spycraft plays directly into the it, Cold War. Right. So when we talk about the Cold War, we're going to set it up with yeah. World War II. And for, just for the record, we agree with you. We we think the cracking of the Enigma stuff and the false information being fed to the Nazis right. about the D-Day landings is awesome parts of history that people don't know about that we do want to go into detail about and i think that plays into it so we'll add it to those episodes when we do it yes indeed yes so sam just be patient we'll get to it i promise our next one comes from c that says a correction for nerds on history hey guys just listening to laws the revenge and just had a quick correction that you probably <laughs> I, still, I still love that title yeah that i know episode. it's a good one uh that you probably already heard uh back about you mentioned that India and Bangladesh were once part of the same nation. While this is true, how you stated they separated was inaccurate. When the British gave India its independence, it separated the nations based on religion, as you correctly stated. However, 
What is, what is now Pakistan originally contained West Pakistan and East Pakistan based on their predominantly Muslim populations. It wasn't until the 1970s that East Pakistan emerged as a very, uh, after a very bloody war for independence and became Bangladesh officially. Thank uh, you. I did, I did inaccurately say, I did actually know that, that Bangladesh broke off from Pakistan, not from India proper. So my apologies. Uh, I, I, Sometimes when you're <laughs> when you're delivering the the facts, you realize that the way you're describing something doesn't make sense, but it's already coming out of your mouth, so you just kind of let it go out there. And uh, thank you for catching that. I'm glad you did. Uh, also continues as a side note, the only place with a majority Sikh population is the region of Punjab, uh, which is split between Pakistan and India. However, most Sikhs still live on the Indian side. Sorry for the long message. Keep up the great work, and feel free to ignore my ramblings. We would never ignore your ramblings. See. Uh, thank you so very much. We appreciate the feedback. Indeed. We also have some feedback from Jill, uh, who says, Happy Labor Day. Well, we say Happy Labor Day back to you. Thanks, Jill. She has to say, I have to say, I love that your anniversary is Labor Day rather than September 3rd. It reminds me of my grandparents' they're my whole life, and before I even before I came along, their anniversary was always Labor Day weekend. Oh. Yeah. I asked my parents uh, what day their actual anniversary was, and even my dad had no idea. Hmm. He's, he's their son. Uh, I had always been Labor Day weekend, so uh, a week-long celebration every year, I guess. And anyways, uh, I think a cool topic for you to do would be anniversaries. Ones that came to my mind are birthdays and weddings, but maybe there are some anniversaries out there that people don't think of. Maybe for, uh, for the wedding anniversaries to find out where the anniversary themes came from, i.e. the paper anniversary, silk, gold, etc. Hmm. Uh, thanks for doing your thing. I'm loving it, and I can't wait for each new episode. Jill. Awesome. Well, Jill. Jill Great feedback. Yeah, thank you. We can't wait for your next piece of listener feedback. We did. This is one of our episodes that we actually had prepped and never got produced. Oh, crap. We, that's right. We, we Like a year ago, we were going to do an episode on wedding traditions. And we right. totally, we just we just decided that we, we had something else better to do that week. And we never picked it back up again. Episode-wise, that is. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, I think it's fair that we do it during wedding season. And right now we're getting into the well, fall. So. But, you know, I also kind of like the idea of branching out beyond just weddings and just talking about, you know, notable anniversaries that are kind of forgotten about. Like, when did birthdays start to become a thing? Like, when did, I mean, obviously birthdays were always a thing, but when did we start to really honor someone's birthday? Yeah, versus... but also like, you know, anniversary, like the anniversary of the landing on D-Day, you know, uh, you know, things like that, that, that people should know off the top of their head. A lot of people don't. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll explore it and flesh it out. And, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. Sure. Or in the past. Perhaps, indeed, yeah. that may happen. We have one other feedback from Evan, which I really love. He has a request. He wants to talk about James Strang. James Strang uh, declared himself the king of Beaver Island, located in Lake Michigan. Uh, he founded uh, a conservative branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and ruled over 12,000 people in his six years that he was king. Uh, apparently, Evan is a relative of this guy, he doesn't exactly know how because since this was a fundamentalist Mormon group, he was a polygamist. So he actually hmm. was one of many, many children uh, from many, many wives. Uh, but he thought it would be a cool idea to be part of that episode. Uh, you know, maybe one of the, he was thinking one of those wacky Mormons is what he liked this, to say. Um, folks, we do not discriminate against anybody's religious beliefs, but the Mormon history is a very unique one, I will say. So that would be kind of fun to talk about more of the offshoots of yeah. that religion. Uh, and I will state for the record, though, that the uh, the polygamist sects of of the Mormon religion are few and far between, and have the, been. the sects. sects. Not, you, it sounds like you said sex. 
Oh, well, you know what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. My, there, there's my that word too. slurred for a yes. moment. But yeah, they're, they're few and far between, and they don't really, they're not in, in huge numbers. Yes, and it hasn't been practiced by the the mainstream Mormon church uh, for, I think, over a century at this point. Yeah, I think some would even argue that it never really was, that they were branching off even as that was a practice. Well, yeah. yes and no, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. we, we can talk about that, too. You well, know? there you go. That sounds like an episode. There you go. Well, folks, this has been fun. This has been definitely been fun. A very interesting jaunt into yeah. uh, a pseudo approach to history. And it's a little bit of a different approach for us here at Nerds at History, but I think uh, you listeners are pretty comfortable with us at this point, and you can indulge us and, and and embrace something a little different, and we encourage you to, of course, go out and watch these episodes, even Future's End, just see it for the burrito scene, because that was really funny. Um, but go and watch them. Watch the cube clip on YouTube instead. Oh, you Okay, fine, fair enough. <laughs> at least go watch the other ones from part one and the first part of this episode. Yes, indeed. And uh, learn a little bit more about their history as well, and if you have a, an interesting take on that history and you want to share it with us, where can you do that, uh, Mr. Brian Moriarty? Well, if you'd like to sh- give us feedback, you can go to Neuronomy.com and click on the Talk to Us button or follow us on our social media uh, at Facebook and Twitter at Nerdonomy. Uh, tell us, Eric, what else can we do? Or uh, Jeremy, what can you do when you go to Neuronomy.com other than give us feedback? If you go to Neuronomy.com, you can also donate to help the the poor broke nerds out, like the starving actor that Brian is. Yes, indeed. Even if you only donate a dollar, that's enough to get them a breakfast burrito, at least at McDonald's. There you go. <laughs> Which right. we could share with two bucks. Yes. Well, well said. And of course, you can also, if you've got a little bit more money, because we can take a dollar, we can also take a lot more. Um, but if you have a little more that you can pay per month, you can also sign up for an audible.com subscription that you can do by either clicking on our link on the right side of our website, or if you're on a mobile device, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy. And we'll get a small commission for you signing up for your free trial. And Jeremy, thank you so very much for coming in today. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the episodes, and uh, we hope that you'll be back on the show again in the future. I had a lot of fun. It was great. Talking about great movies like Star Trek Four, arguably the, the best Star Trek movie of all time, and by in some people's opinion, it's a very good one. Great, great episode of the original series. A great two-parter from from TNG. A very important episode from DS9. And Voyager's attempt that will give them you no know, points for effort. They get, they get A for effort, exactly. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention, to say the least. Right. Well, guys, it's that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye bye. Uh, Jeremy, I've got a question for you. Why is your fanny pack purring? It's made out of a triple. Oh. Oh, that's creepy.